0: I am a Presbyterian minister. As you know, this is a, a Union Church. We have Methodists here. Some of you probably identify yourselves as Methodists. Some of you think of yourselves, like me, as a Presbyterian. And some of you just kind of you like the church and you're here today, or maybe, maybe you don't like the church but you're here anyway. Um, but I am a Presbyterian, and Presbyterians stand in what is called the Reformed tradition. It is it is uh, one of the oldest streams of Protestant thought in Christ- Christianity. It, it it goes back to Switzerland, the city of Geneva in 1540, uh, when a particular branch of, of uh, Reformed Protestantism uh, came out of the Catholic Church. And Presbyterians uh, stand in that tradition uh, as as Reformed thinking spread throughout Europe, and it went to Scotland, uh, they became Presbyterians there. Um, when it went to England, they became Puritans, and, and ultimately many of them went to Massachusetts and and, um, as reform thinking spread around the, the globe, it is now actually a, a, an international phenomenon in every continent. But, but I am a Presbyterian. And one of the things that Presbyterians are distinctly noted for is the idea of the sovereignty of God. That is the idea that God is in charge and God makes the rules. And if God is in charge and God makes the rules, then we better obey them. So one of the things that we do is we we look for rules. We read the Bible, looking for rules, hoping that we can find things that we want God to do, so that then we can obey them. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, um, but an example, a very easy example to spot, is in a in a reformed worship service. We don't just show up at church on Sunday morning and think we're going to worship. Instead, we show up at church. We assemble at church, and then we wait. For God's call to worship. We don't just kind of waltz into, to God's presence and say, here I am. Instead, we wait until God calls us to worship. So every worship service we have begins with a call to worship. And the reason is because then we know it's okay to worship God because God has invited us into His presence. So that's an example of, of what is the, the reformed way of thinking about worship. And really it's part of this, this bigger idea that God is sovereign god is the one who makes the rules and so we better obey the rules except except sometimes we don't sometimes we disobey the rules sometimes we ignore the rules and we get away with it and we see that throughout scripture we see it most clearly in the life of jesus but occasionally we see it in the old testament and today i want to look at a passage of scripture that is kind of topical because it's about a big feast and thanksgiving's coming up but it also has to do with this idea that sometimes it's okay to break the rules. And I want to look at this because I think it shows us what, what makes it possible sometimes to break the rules. And unfortunately, um, I'm going to spend about five minutes setting it up because I'm going to have to give you a whole lot of context to understand what's going on here. So let me just very quickly summarize where we're at. We're in the book of Second Chronicles, which is a long list of all the kings of Israel and all the things they did. Now, if you were here in October and um, earlier this month, uh, we were talking about a guy named Joseph the Patriarch. He was about maybe 1500 BC. This is much later. We're we're picking up the story. We've, We've jumped forward about 800 years. It's now 700 BC. And Israel stayed in Egypt where we left them for about 400 years, and they became a great big nation there. But over time, they became an oppressed minority within the larger nation of egypt and eventually they were put into slavery and then god finally uh, called moses to lead them out of slavery into the promised land so they went to the promised land and for a while they were led there by people like moses judges people who had a connection to god and could tell them what it was god wanted them to do but over time the people said we're uh, we're uncomfortable with this arrangement. We would rather have a king. All the nations that are around us, they have kings, and we want to be like them. We want to have a king instead of a judge. So God said, "Okay, you can have a king." God gave them a king called Saul, and Saul was not a very good king. So after a while, God gave them a different king, King David. Now, um, King David is considered a good king. If you were here a couple of uh, two summers ago, we we looked at some of the stories in the life of. David. And we saw that David, like a lot of us, is kind of a mixed bag. He's got his good points and his bad points. But from the perspective of Scripture, uh, there's really a low bar. To be a good king, you don't have to be a political success. You don't have to be a military conqueror. Really, there's only one thing that, that Scripture looks for to decide if somebody is a good king. And that is, do they lead the people of Israel away from worshiping the true God? If they, if they lead the people into worship of foreign gods, uh, uh, idols and pagan gods and offering strange sacrifices, then they're considered a bad king. They may be a bad king militarily or politically too, and often they are, but, but the key thing from scripture's perspective to be a bad king is, is you lead the people astray. And unfortunately there's all kinds of bad kings. If you read through Chronicles, if you read through the book of Kings, uh, there's all these bad kings. But we're going to hear mercifully about one of the good ones today. We're going to hear about a guy named Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was was a good king, but his father was not. His father was a bad king, and he had led the people of Israel astray. He had led them uh, to follow after these strange gods, the the gods of the surrounding nations, these pagan gods. They had set up, they had set up uh, uh, all kinds of shrines and had idols everywhere. They had even put them in the temple. There was a big temple in Jerusalem, and they had put uh, these strange foreign images and so forth in the temple. They profane the temple. And that's the situation we're at when the story begins. And um, uh, or that's, what, that's the situation we, we, we come to when Hezekiah takes the throne. Excuse me, that's one chapter ago. And the first thing Hezekiah does when he takes the throne is he says, okay, a new broom sweeps clean. Israel or, or the southern kingdom of Israel is under new management. Uh, one of the kings earlier had been so bad that about 80% of the country said, that's it, we're done with this, and they left. They, they rebelled and they started a new kingdom called the Northern Kingdom. So we're actually looking at all that's left of the old kingdom of King David. It's called the Southern Kingdom. And that's where the, that's where the temple is. So the previous king is named Ahaz. He was a bad king. He did human sacrifice. He was just a terrible king. But as soon as Hezekiah takes the throne, he says, okay, a new broom sweeps clean. Uh, we're going to fix all that. So he he says to the Levites and the priests, he says, here's what we're going to do. Uh, there's there's things that you guys are in charge of. There's religious stuff. I can't do anything about that. That's not my job. But I can fix the physical plant. I'm going to fix up the temple. Okay, I'm going to repair the door and do these other things to make it suitable for worship again but I want you, the religious people, to go in there and, and sanctify it, to clean it, to do whatever has to be done to get rid of the impurity of these foreign, foreign idols and so forth that was in the temple. And so that's chapter 29. They clean up the temple. And if, if that's all he had done, then Hezekiah would be listed in the scriptures as a good king. But we're going to pick up the story in chapter 30 when the temple has now been cleaned. And what we see in chapter 30, we heard in the first reading, I do this every week. My next pair of glasses will be trifocals. (laughs) Um, So, uh, in our first reading, we heard Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah. That's two different countries. Israel is the northern kingdom, Judah is the southern kingdom. And he wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh. That's another name for Israel. Um, If you were here, I mentioned that Joseph, the patriarch... He had two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they became the biggest tribes of Israel. They became so big it was a shorthand for Israel. So um, uh, they they uh, wrote these letters saying that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Now one of the things Ahaz had done, his, his father Ahaz had done, has been in wars. He'd been in wars with the northern kingdom and a bunch of other countries. And and what what Hezekiah says is, okay, I've got the temple cleaned up. And now it's safe for you guys to come here and worship. And we've had some political differences. My dad had some major defeats at your hands. But for a week, we're just going to put all that to one side. We're going to, we're going to put all the politics to one side. And I'm just inviting you to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. For the king and his officials, they had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. Now, normally the Passover is held in the first month, and the the calendar makes that the spring. So they have, as soon as the the spring begins, the first month of spring is the first month. And that's when Passover is supposed to be held. But there's a a loophole. If you go back and flip through the pages of Leviticus, it turns out that if you're like delayed, your travel doesn't work out or whatever, um, you're allowed to have the Passover a month late. And what Hezekiah says is, you know what? I'm just going to decree that everybody's late. The entire nation is late for Passover. So they celebrated the Passover a month late. So uh, they did. They couldn't keep it at the proper time because the priests had not sanctified themselves. Remember, Hezekiah in the previous chapter said, I'm going to clean up the building. You religious people need to clean yourselves up, get yourselves all sorted out so you can do this stuff. Um, and some of them had not. The priests had not um, uh, sanctified themselves in sufficient number. And of course, the people hadn't assembled in Jerusalem. So uh, the people from all over the country hadn't assembled there. So so they decreed, and they sent out this message from Beersheba, which is in the far south, It'd be like Hawaii, and uh, all the way to Dan, that would be like Barrow, okay? So from north to south, the whole country, OK, the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they'd not kept it in great numbers as prescribed. So they did that. And, and the, the message went out, and then we pick it up in chapter, uh, later on in the chapter at verse 13. Many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the festival of unleavened bread in the second month, a very large assembly. So in the past, because of Ahaz, it had been a very small number who had, who had tried to do this, and now it's a big number. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem. See, Ahaz, Ahaz had cleaned up the temple, but there's still all these shrines and idols all over Jerusalem that Ahaz had set up. So, Hezekiah hadn't had time to get that, but there's a big crowd. He says, this is a great opportunity. Let's have a work party. Let's clean them all out and dump them in the the Wadi Kidron. That's uh, the valley on the gorge on one side of Jerusalem. So they do that. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and Levites were ashamed. They were ashamed because a month ago, I mean, a, a chapter ago, Hezekiah had said, get yourselves ready do for yourselves what we're doing together for the temple. Clean yourselves up so you can come into God's presence. And they were ashamed. And when they see this crowd, and they realize, here's a whole crowd, um, they're all ready and I'm not. And so they were ashamed. And so that finally motivates them. They sanctified themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. So finally, the priests and the Levites got themselves ready. And then they took their accustomed posts um, the priests dashed the blood they received from the hands of the Levites. There are many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. The Levites had to do the slaughtering. People showed up. They haven't celebrated the Passover in, in maybe two decades. And so they're not ready for this. So the Levites have to do all the, the slaughtering of the Passover lambs. A multitude of people, including people from this other country, the northern kingdom, had not cleaned themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than is prescribed and then we read that hezekiah prayed for them the good lord pardon uh, all who set their hearts to seek god and the story continues they 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 celebrate with uh, with great joy we read um the people kept the the festival for 7 days with great gladness and they had music and food and all the usual things they ate the food and uh then the the proof they were having a good time, the proof they were having a good time is they decided, you know, the, the book says Passover is seven days, but we're going to extend it seven more days. Now I want you to stop and think about the last time you got together with your family for Christmas or for Thanksgiving. <laughs> At the end of it, did you say, let's just all stick around for seven more days? <laughs> okay, probably not. Um, so so, um, so the proof that they really were having a good time is that they they said let's do this let's 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 keep this going um, that's something that that people often are not prepared to do after a week of celebrating with friends and family so uh, they do and there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon son of King David that was the last king before the country split apart there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem and the priests stood up and blessed the people their voice was heard their prayer came to his God's holy dwelling in heaven that's the the scripture, and what I want to do is I want to give you two easy applications and then one kind of deeper, more thought provoking thing that you can you can kind of work on the the first one is civil authorities matter the 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 civil authorities in our world the people like Abraham Lincoln and Hezekiah make a difference um, not because they they um, they permit or or uh, lead in religious services, but because the things they do make it possible for people of faith to to worship uh, easily or to worship with great uh, difficulty, so um, I would encourage you to pray for civil leaders. Um, the truth of the matter is there aren 't a lot of hezekiah's there aren 't a lot of abraham lincoln 's you know when you think about our, our city government, our state government, our national government international government. There just really aren't a lot of Lincolns and Hezekiahs. And I wonder how much of that is because we don't pray for them. So I would encourage you at Thanksgiving time, you're you're thinking about your blessings, pray for civil authorities. Pray for people that God would would create, would make um, our leaders to become Hezekiahs. So that's an easy application. There's another application. One of the things that jumps out at me as I read this passage is how much... Joy and gladness figure into this, right? People are partying. There's, there's a wine is flowing. There's uh, thousands of bulls and sheep. There's just a great big party festival atmosphere and there's great rejoicing. People, people rejoice with great gladness. They say, let's keep this thing going and they extend it for seven more days. And I wonder how much that's true of us. You know, I think, I think one of the things, this is a, this is a time of year when Christians, like other people, can be kind of on edge. I saw something this week, maybe you heard about it. There was one of these little controversies where a bunch of people got outraged because a Costco had filed the Bible in the fiction section, and so people were bent out of shape about this, that it was somehow a deliberate insult uh, against Christianity. And and. I, I don't know. Maybe that's true. I've been to Costco. I don't see a lot of organization in their book section, to be honest. But, but um, I don't. I, maybe it was a calculated insult. But, but I think by by taking offense so easily, you know, uh, so many of us feel that the culture is pressing in on us. That that if we if we don't um, if we don't push back against the culture, then the culture will swallow us. And what I would encourage you instead to do is. To rejoice. You know, let the culture look at us and wonder why we're so happy. Let the culture wonder, what have they got that I don't have? You know, this is the time of year you'll go to the store, you'll be shopping, and the clerk will do what their boss told them to do. The boss said, say happy holiday. And when you say, you know, I'm not buying your holiday thing, I'm gonna celebrate Christmas, Fine, you're standing up for Jesus, and I'm sure he's happy about that. But wouldn't it be better if you said, I'm going to have a great holiday. I am going to have an awesome holiday because I'm going to celebrate Christmas. Let the culture look at us and wonder why we rejoice with such gladness. So those are the two easy applications, but they feed into the the third application. The third application is this. There is in, I think, most of us, and particularly in Presbyterians, uh, an awe of God's holiness. This idea that that God is holy, that God is is pure and wonderful and powerful and mighty and makes the rules. And we better obey the rules. But what we see in Hezekiah's story, and, and elsewhere in the Old Testament, particularly we see it here in Hezekiah's story, is that we should never be so impressed with God's holiness that we forget God's love and mercy and grace. You know, as we read this story, we see over and over again how they break the rules. They're not they're not celebrating on the proper occasion. Um they they haven't cleaned up the temple. They haven't gotten rid of all of, or they've just only just cleaned up the temple. Uh the priests and the Levites haven't sanctified themselves. The the town is scattered full of um, uh, uh, idols and shrines to pagan gods. Uh, It's not the right time to come before God. They're not ready yet. But what makes Hezekiah a great king is he says, the truth is we'll never be ready. We will never be ready. We will never make it to the place where we are holy enough to come before God on our own strength. And that's why God sent us a Savior. All this business in here, this weird stuff about uh, uh, splashing the blood and the, the Passover lamb, that is the way the Old Testament anticipates the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to be our Lamb of God, to give his blood as an atonement for our sin, so that we don't have to get right with God, because we can't. We're in the same situation at the temple, and Jerusalem we're in, we are not ready for God. But by God's grace, he sent Jesus to connect us back to him so we could come into his presence. People tell us that, the people who study these things, they tell us that this is the time of year when people are most receptive to an invitation to come to worship. And my guess is that if you're like me, you can probably think of some people you know who are not really ready to come to worship. And I wonder if instead of functioning like the priests, we could be a little bit more like Hezekiah and say, you know what? They're not ready. Let's invite them anyway. They're not ready to, to have God in their life. Let's go ahead and invite them. Because we serve a God who's not only holy, but a God who is loving and gracious and merciful. You know, so, so, so let me encourage you. Be like Hezekiah, that person you're thinking of, the person who maybe needs some God in their life but isn't ready for it. Invite them to church. Tell them when you hear them complaining about how stressed out they are from the holidays, say, you know what? I belong to a community of people and we get together every Sunday and we rejoice with great gladness. There's a whole lot of people who would love to find a place where they could rejoice with great gladness. So let me encourage you, be like Hezekiah this year. Invite people who are not ready, just like us. None of us are ready, except for the work of Jesus Christ. None of us could come here. None of us could dare to come into God's presence. But because of Jesus, we can never, ever make the mistake of putting God's holiness before his love. Amen.